Wasn't that lovely? That was great. Give them another hand clap. Thank you. <laughs> it sounds like you're all excited for Christmas coming. Um, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but this is not a Christmas message today. In spite of the fact that the Coca-Cola lorry has been all over the TV and that Kelvin has won Strictly, um, that's always a sign Christmas is there when Strictly's just finished. Um, you think 13 weeks ago it started and you think, woof, Christmas is just around the corner and it feels like pff, that's it. But I'm speaking about a gift and we talk about a gift at Christmas and I'm speaking about the gift of grace. You know, there's not a day goes by that I don't thank God for his grace because I need it. I really, every day I thank God for his grace, for his love and his mercy. When I pray, normally I say, thank you, Father, for your grace, for your love, for your mercy, for your goodness, for your great plans for my life. And, you know, so I'm speaking today. If there was a title to this message today, it would be the Father's grace. And today I'm going to read, um, I'm going to preach from Luke 15. And it's about grace from the Father's heart. I find this chapter actually scandalous. And it's, why is it scandalous? Because it's one of the reasons that Jesus gets killed. This chapter is one of the reasons that they killed Jesus. And, and that's, that's strange because before I was a Christian, before I understand, understood the cross and what happened at Calvary, I used to think, why enough would they kill Jesus? This is the guy that's going about healing people, raising people from the dead. If he was all that, why enough would you kill the guy that's doing all that? I just didn't understand that until I understood the meaning of Calvary. So I'm thinking, you don't kill the guy that's healing all your diseases. And it, it confused me a bit. So why did they kill Jesus? Luke 15 is one of the reasons. You see, Jesus was challenging the cultural order here. And what he's about to do in this text this morning, he's about to completely deconstruct their world for them. The world as they knew it and he's going to reconstruct it just as he wanted it to be and he means it to be. So it's a cultural challenge to their ideas in the morning. And, and you know, when, when I read God's word, when, when I'm in there meditating in his word, there's three things that he says to me and I can hear them so clearly. The first thing he says to me is, what do you see? And then he says, what do you feel? And then what do you think? Every time, every time I'm meditating in his words, that's the three things. And when I tell him what I see, he tells me, you're seeing good. And when I tell him what I'm feeling, because the word of God is alive, you know, and you have a relationship with it. And when you have a relationship with someone, there's feeling. And Jesus is the word, so you feel a reaction to that word. And with all of that, what I see and what I feel, I kind of come to a conclusion about what I think of that word. And when I do that, it's almost as if I'm there. It's almost as if I'm in the crowd 
and I'm watching what's happening. But I'm going to go to chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2, because the whole of this chapter hinges on what the first two verses of that chapter. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often come to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and eating with them. And when I was looking at that, these first two verses, before I'm going to speak in the prodigal son this morning, but when I was looking in that, these are the two verses that set the whole thing up. Because you see, when I was looking at this and God was saying, what do you see? I saw three distinct groups of people that were in this crowd. You had the tax collectors. You had not just sinners, you had notorious sinners. And you had the Pharisees. Three distinct groups of people. Now the tax collectors and the sinners, they were drawing near to hear him. What was happening here was Jesus was preaching and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's telling them that the kingdom of God has arrived basically in his person. And as he's doing this, the tax collectors and the sinners have shown up to listen to him. But I don't think we've really gotten this chapter. I don't think we've really got what's really going on here. For my generation, for those that went to Sunday school, and perhaps those that have been brought up in the church, when you think about Zacchaeus, you think about Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And he climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord they wanted to see. And Jesus came up to the tree and says, Zacchaeus, you come down because I'm going to your house today. So we're thinking about a tax collector. We think about the story of the tax collector. And here's what we think. We think of a sanitized version of the tax collector. We think of somebody that's been charged by getting in some money and he's supposed to take 20 pounds from you and he takes 30. And he puts the extra 10 in his pocket for himself. Isn't that kind of what we've been taught? So a tax collector is someone who takes more than they should and pockets the difference. They rob you, and that's why they're despised. And that is true, but it's not all there is about being a tax collector in these days. You see, at this point in history, Rome rules the world. From Britannia, as it was called back then, taking it in most of Europe, North Africa, and all the way to India. Rome ruled all that landmass. Now that is some amount of landmass to rule and to take control of. And nowadays, even with our technology and weaponry, if we were trying to control that amount of land, it would be quite a job. But back then, it would have been a much, much bigger problem. If a rebellion started out in one part of the empire, it could have taken a year before the empire was able to strike back. So how do you govern all those separate countries within that empire? Well, you do it with a massive, massive army. 
and with a great amount of brutality on the part of that army. How do you pay for that army? How do you do it? Taxes are how you do it. And I don't know what you know about history, but Rome not only ruled the world, they were a real brutal, brutal people. There are historical records of Rome sacking a city and killing 20,000 men, women, and children, and then crucifying them along the side of the road leading into the city. So that when people were going out and in the city, they were seeing this, and they knew what was in, in place for them if they stepped out of line. A brutal regime that's raping, stealing, murdering, and generally brutalizing the population. And guess what? Zacchaeus and others like him have just purchased the right from Rome to take money from you to fund the oppressing army that's taking siege in your city. You see, I was like, why was everybody getting upset about paying an extra tenner? It's only a tenner. Get over it. So what's really wrong with Jesus meeting with these tax collectors? It's only a tenner. But that would be like our country being overthrown with some superpower who's horrific, raping our wives and daughters, killing our sons, stealing our stuff. Our laws have been superseded by their laws, so there's no even the law to keep them in check. No court able are willing to deal with them. And someone we know, perhaps our next door neighbor in our town is taking money to pay for this army to stay there and brutalize us. So now we get a wee bit understanding of why the tax collector is really despised. We see what the problem is there. And you can see how that when Jesus went to the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down because I'm going to your place to eat today, it caused the whole city to be in an uproar. Then Jesus goes and eats dinner at his house. Can you imagine? Can you just put yourself in the place of the people of that town? And can you imagine how they felt about that? Knowing who they thought at that time Jesus was. I mean, I don't like this guy. And I don't even know him. But they're not the only people in this sermon. In the group, you not only have tax collectors, you have other notorious sinners. Now, in the first century, sinners were a class of people not quite like we would class sinners. We class sinners as somebody that's missed the mark, and that's true. And we are people that have missed the mark often. The name sinners was marked by those in those days. There were people who were deformed, those who were diseased, those who had professions of ill repute, like prostitutes, etc. In this day, this group of people would have been regarded as a nasty crowd. I mean, you've got tax collectors, you've got drunkards, you've got thieves, you've got prostitutes. And here is Jesus in the middle of them preaching. Here's what we shouldn't miss among all this, where the word of God is faithfully proclaimed, the most outcast of any culture will be drawn to the light of that grace. They will be drawn to participate in the grace that comes from Father God. 
So the Pharisees, look, there's another group in the crowd. Verse 2, this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So the Pharisees and the scribes were there as well. These are representative of the religious people. Now, as far as living biblically, let's just be straight about the Pharisees and the scribes. They'd be better than you at it. They'd be better than me at it. They know more Bible probably than most of us know right now. They pray more than we probably pray right now. To be a Pharisee, you're going to have to remember and memorize the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You're going to have to memorize it. How many of you, don't need to put your hands up, how many of you have started to read the book of Numbers and after a wee while went, woof, forget that, Matthew 1, that's where I'm going. These guys had to memorize it. And they're strict. They're stricter than Pastor Jim. <laughs> you think he's strict? They're strict. I'm just joking. Like on the Sabbath, they're only going to take so many steps. Now, the law doesn't require them only to take so many steps on the Sabbath. It tells them they shouldn't work in the Sabbath. But they've equated taking a lot of steps, walking a long way, was just like working. So I'm only going to walk so far in the Sabbath. Crazy, crazy people. So no matter how awesome you are at living biblically, no matter how well you think you're doing, you don't measure up to these guys. Maybe you're up every morning, five o'clock in the morning, to read the Word and to pray. Maybe every t-shirt you've got has got Jesus' name in it. Your other t-shirts got no more slaves on it as well. <laughs> Even if all that, you've got the wee fish in your car, you've got stickers that say, real men love Jesus. You know, <laughs> Even with all that, you don't measure up to these guys. They'd be going, five o'clock? Five o'clock? I haven't slept in a week. I've been praying for a week and you're up at five. So that's who we're talking about in this crowd. These are the religious people we're speaking about in this crowd. And as we read the story and we watch Jesus deconstruct here, you've really got to keep in mind this here, who's listening to this parable. You've got prostitutes. You've got tax collectors. And these are the people that have culturally been shunned. Remember the woman at the well who comes to the well in the middle of the day? Nobody comes to the well in the middle of the day. Everybody goes to the well in the morning. If you've been to Africa and see the people out there, like some of us have been in mission, they don't do things in the middle of the day. They do things in the morning. But in the middle of the day... There was peace for this woman to go. If she'd went in the morning, she would be shunned. So she went in the middle of the day. She's an outcast, just like the people here that we're speaking about. They have no place in the synagogue, i.e. nobody wants them at their church. Go to some other church 
Nobody wants them at their church. There's no entry for them. It's you're unclean, you're out. And that belief is perpetuated by the Pharisees and the scribes because of their appeared cleanliness. So here's the thing you've always got to think about with internal righteousness, because this is what we're talking about here. This self-righteousness. If you're comparing your righteousness by finding someone else who isn't quite as good as you and you're measuring how well you're doing next to them as a comparison to them, you're in a scary place of rebellion, folks, because that's not God's heart. You see, as far as living by the law is concerned, no man and no woman can live up to it. Nobody can match God's holiness. I would guess that Isaiah is probably a bit more holy than I am and myself. Yet when he sees God in his throne, what does he do? He falls in his face and he says, woe is me, as for I have been undone. If you're looking at God's holiness, there's nobody that can boast. There's nobody that can live up to it. With that said, and with that picture painted, let's jump into the parable of the lost son. Verse 11. <clears throat> to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. That's charming, isn't it? So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding to the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Now, at this point, Let's rewind a wee bit here. <clears throat> Imagine with me that you're in the crowd and you're listening to this. How do you think the tax collectors and the sinners are hearing this story? Do you think that they can relate? Like you and I, I'm sure they would be thinking, that's me. Do you think that they get it? I'm in that place. I'm eating the pods that the pigs are eating. I'm in a pigsty. That's me. I'm there. I'm cut off. And what do you think the Pharisees and the scribes are doing? They're going, you tell them, Jesus. Get them, Jesus. You tell them, Jesus. This is what happens when preachers start preaching truth and there's others start judging other people. Don't let self-righteousness creep in. We've all done it. I wish so-and-so was here to hear this message today. I wish, when, see if I catch your eyes, I'm not really looking at you. Okay? I'm not speaking directly to you. I'm not speaking directly into your life. <laughs> You're saying, I wish him over there had heard, would hear this message. I hope he's listening. That's self-righteousness, folks. Let's not go there. But you see... If truth be told, the son in this parable is just like us. And sometimes God lets us get to that place where we exhaust ourselves, where we come to the end of ourselves. 
But in the story, we see a picture of grace from the father. The father didn't have to say yes to this request from the son. The son doesn't control the father. The father controls the son. The son can say all he likes, give me my money, give your money to me. And the father could say, no, go and tidy your room. He was quite entitled to do that. But in his grace, he lets his son tire himself out. You see, sometimes we think we are so smart that we know better than God. I know I've been there. So God goes, okay, you think you know better than me? On you go. On you go. Just go and do that. But when you find out that that girl's not going to satisfy you, when you find out that that man's not going to complete you, when you wake up and you're eating pods and you know it, then you'll know I was right. Now watch this in verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food, food enough to spare, and here am I dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. There's a few things in that that we need to talk about. There were multiple times when I was growing up where I was doing things I shouldn't have done and being places I shouldn't have been. And I know that's hard to believe when you see this angelic face. I understand that is really hard to believe, but it's true. But when I went home to parents that were wondering where I were and were sitting up to make sure they spoke to me when I came in and I knew it, I did what this guy did. I rehearsed my speech. I went over my speech in my own mind, just like he was doing there. This is what I'll say. I didn't want to go to that party, Father. Dad, it was my pals that took me to that. I was wanting to go and watch a Disney movie, but they dragged me along to the party. Drink? No, 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 I had a vimto. <laughs> Knowing all along that they knew fine well where I've been, just like God knows where we've been. So again, this guy's practicing his speech. So again, let's get back to the crowd. If you're a tax collector or you're a sinner here, you're starting to go, okay, I get it. I need to come back. I need to come back in. But what's the price? What's this going to cost me? Does this, what does this penance look like? What do I have to pay to get back in? Am I now going to be a slave? Am I now a servant? What do you think the Pharisees are thinking? They're saying, okay, if they're going to get back in, if we're going to have to do this, if they have to get back in, then there's going to be a price. And it's going to be severe. It's going to be harsh. The, pe the penalty better be adequate, Jesus. This is what they're thinking. So now you've got a people who are culturally starting to understand the real meaning of this parable. They're drawn near and they're hearing the story and now they've got this son practicing his speech. I want to be back in. 
I can't be your son anymore. But at least let me be one of your hired hands. He understands now that he needs to come back. He's made a mess and he needs to come back. Let me be at least one of your hired hands. Just let me sleep out with the servants. Punish me however you want to punish me. I know I can't be your son, but I want to be back. I need to be back. I want to be back. Let me back. I'll do anything to come back. So do you think the prostitute is going to say, what's this going to cost me? I've gone so far away. What's this going to cost me? Her self-esteem is non-existent. Every man's ever abused her. Every man she's ever met has abused her. And even some women in the way that they've shunned her have abused her. Do you think, she's thinking, is it possible? Could there really be a way back for me? Is there a way back? What's it going to cost me to be reconciled to God? But I guarantee you the Pharisees and the scribes are starting to get excited about this story. And that kind of suits the religious in our country. Right now they're thinking, let's punish them. What are you going to do, Jesus, to make them come back? This punishment needs to be severe. And this next part of the story is where this text gets outrageous. It's totally outrageous. Verse 20. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Hallelujah. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and a sandals, sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. The celebration, the party began. Now that's scandalous. This is just insane that this would be the outcome of what this boy had done, gone away. Give me the money, he says. So he takes the father's money, he squanders it, he belittles the father's name, he mocks the father's name, he comes to his senses in a pigsty and he's slinking back home trying to become a servant. But you see here the father's grace. The father is so compassionate and so gracious that he doesn't even acknowledge the speech. He doesn't even try to correct him. He didn't do anything. Just let me be one of your servants. I'm not having it, said the father. Robe, ring, stake, music, party. That's what the father said. I'm not having that. Robe, ring, stake, party. That's the grace of the father. That's the scandal of this grave. It does not allow restitution. It does not allow our own restitution. It has to be done for us. The father takes the weight of this offense on himself. Isn't that fabulous? Isn't that the gospel? That the father takes the weight of the offense on himself. He handles the offense. He does not allow the young son to carry that offense. He says, I've got this. You're my son. Here's my ring. That's my authority. Here's my clean robe. That's my cleanliness. Here's my, now he would be stinking after living in a pigsty. And he says, here's my clean robe. Here's my cleanliness. Take that. And we're going to celebrate. You were dead and now you're alive. We're going to celebrate. If we could just understand God's delight in saving people. 
we th- when I think of this, and I think of the apostle Paul, or Saul he was known before, before he was saved in the road to Damascus, he was on his way to kill and to wreak havoc to the church of Christ. But know something, in Galatians it says that it pleased God to reveal Jesus Christ to him. It pleased God. God was happy to reveal himself. That's the Father's heart. That's the Father's grace revealing itself to Paul. It pleased him. Can you imagine him? He's murdering, he's killing the church of Christ. But it pleased God to reveal Jesus to him. God get excited about saving soul. That's emotion. God delights in saving his children. There's a party in heaven every time one of us gets saved. Grace runs deep in this story. Let's get to the party. Can we be honest here and admit something? Sometimes there's parties and there's parties. And can I tell you, Christians, some of you need to learn how to party. I've been to parties where you've been and there's no smile in your face. You need to learn to celebrate. You need to learn to party. It's no sin to party. Enjoy yourself in God. Enjoy yourself in God's people. This party is wild. This party, as they say in this career, it's pure mental. It's wild. <laughs> Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard something. He heard two things. What did he hear? He hears music. And he hears dancing. This is a party that's getting out of control. He's hearing music. And he's a long way off. He's coming in for the fields. And he's already hearing the music. And he's hearing that people are dancing. And he's thinking, that sounds like music. Whew. Dancing? There must be dancing going on in there. I'm confused. Is it, is it Christmas already? What on earth can be going on here? The father celebrates the salvation of his sons and daughters. This is God's grace to mankind. Isn't God's grace amazing? Is it any wonder that we sing this song, Amazing Grace? Is it any wonder? Is it any wonder that I thank God every day for his grace? I can't go past the morning without saying, Father God, I thank you for your grace because I know how much I need it. Think about King David. God called him a man after God's own heart. And it wasn't like David called that name to himself. He didn't wake up someday and say, I'm going to give myself a nickname. Okay, David, what's your nickname? A man after God's own heart. God called him a man after God's own heart. God did that. David slept with another man's wife. And then he had that. Know this, David. King David... (laughs) David slept, can't, it's okay, Heather. <laughs> David slept with another man's wife, and then he had that man killed. Now, I think that David would out sin anybody that's in this room right now. I think David out sins the lot of us there. You might have some issues going on in your life, but I think David trumps you right here. So that's grace. That's grace. Let's follow this scandalous grace of the Father. David, an adulterer, a murderer, is called by God a man after God's own heart. But what we read about in Romans 5, hallelujah, Romans 5, is that the cross of Jesus Christ is a propitiation for the sins 
of the past. This means that God is calling David a man after God's own heart, despite his sins, because of Calvary, because of the cross. <laughs> because God lives outside time, and I'm not going all the way there, John. <laughs> God lives outside time. So he can put the things of the future to the things in the past, and vice versa, because he's not in our time frame. He lives outside time. He lives outside places. He lives everywhere. So because of what Jesus did in Calvary, David could be called a man after God's own heart. That's awesome. And that's just what happened in this story. And that's just what happened to you and me when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. But watch the older brother here. And he asked one of the servants, verse 26, what was going on. Just a quick one about the older brother, because it's not really just about that. Some people are like the older brother. They ask the servants what's going on instead of going directly to the father. Go to the father. Don't go talking about other men and women of God. Go to the father. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. <laughs> and I kind of just laughed when I read that because I'm thinking, how stupid are you, son? How stupid is that? How is hurting anyone else but yourself going to do anything here? There's a big party going on in the house and you're sitting outside. I'm not partying. I'm not going in. I'm just going to sit outside here and stew. And if I was his father, I'd have said, well, sit there then and stay out there. We're away in here to enjoy yourself. But you see, the father's more gracious than I am. Thank God. His father came out and begged him. Here's the thing, though. Every day loves extending grace to the younger brother. We love that. You know, people that have gone really far off, off the mark. Feel, feels good to extend grace to them. But that's what we end up doing here. We judge the self-righteous. Judging the affluent. Judging those who don't have their hands quite as dirty as ours. They should know better kind of attitude. This is the older brother. He should have known better. But you see, that wasn't the father's heart here. The father didn't say, just like I would have, just you stay out there and pout. Just you stew out there. He went out and he pled with him. Get in here. Come in here. What are you doing? Watch what happens in verse 29. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you've never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. I don't know about you, but I think that's an awful request. You've got the father's put a party on for this, and this man must be a millionaire with the things he's got. And this guy could have done in, and he's asking for a goat. A goat! It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, folks. What are you asking him for? Don't limit it. A goat! I would have been the father, been confused if I was the father and saying, did you say a boat? Was it a yacht you meant? Because this guy would have been capable of that kind of present. And he said, you never even gave me a young goat 
And that's what happens to the self-righteous. That's what happens to those that don't quite understand grace. They'll try to create another win, another victory. And it will not look like the victory that's going on in the house. It will be something different. They'll redefine the goals. They'll change it so as they look a wee bit better. They'll redefine the scorecard. If there was a referee that would be going look for the VAR, they would be wanting a replay to see if this really, this decision was really lawful. But their scorecard will not be the same as God's scorecard. And here's the irony. It'll always be built around about their strength. I've always served you. I've always did this. I've been faithful. So they'll redefine the goal. But let's watch again the Father's grace towards even the elder brother. <coughs> Excuse me. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money and prostitutes, you celebrate by killing him, killing the fattened calf, killing him, killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. That's the scandalous grace of the father. And it's this, whether it's legalism a license, he invites us into the party. Legalism, a license, he invites us into the party. If you're the tax collector or the sinner, or you're the self-righteous, I'll do it by myself type, you can come to the party. <clears throat> Would the band like, like to come up? Thanks. Here's the funny thing about rebellion. Rebellion takes all sorts of different shapes. Some people rebel against God with heroin. Some people rebel against God with Sunday school. Some people go, I don't need you, God. I can figure out my own way. I can make my own path. I know more about life. I know more about sex. I know more about drugs than you know about life. I know what's going to be, make me happy more than you do, God. Despite the fact that we've all got historical evidence to prove that that's not true, you continue to go, I don't need you. I can make my own way. But the self-righteous, they'll say, I don't need you. I can make my own way. I go to church every week. I listen to the music. I worship there. And they create a list where they ultimately know a lot about God, but they don't really know him. And that's really just stupid. Imagine coming to church every Sunday and no known God. That just defeats the purpose of the thing. Too many people can talk about God, but they talk about God in a way that reveals that they really don't know him. Luke 15 is one of the places that he says to the tax collector and to the sinner, you haven't gone too far. You haven't gone too far. You've not gone beyond my saving reach. You can never go beyond that saving reach. There is no sin that has more power than what I'm about to do on the cross at Calvary. There's no sin with more power than that. But he also says to the self-righteous, he entreats them, 
And you kind of know this chapter is a bit of a put down to the scribes and the Pharisees. It looks like God's celebrating the lost and not celebrating who were not lost, as it were, and were always known. Then he starts to entreat them. Come into this. Don't do this. Don't sit outside and shake your fist at my grace towards the sinner because you're a sinner also. Join with me. Join with me in what I'm doing here. Come into the party. Come in and join with me. And let's celebrate the loss coming back to the house. So my hope from my message today is this, that you might understand and have a, a wee bit firmer grip of the glorious Oh, matchless grace of God. Wow, thank you, Father God, that regardless of how you've come into this building today, how you've come in to sit in this room today, that you might realize that that same grace is available today, right now in Jesus Christ, that you would just grasp and understand that. Get a hold of that. That's the whole purpose of my message today. That's where I've been going from I opened my mouth today to get to this point that you would understand, you would see, you would feel the grace of God, and you would think. So what do you see? What do you feel? What do you think? And you would think that it did that for me that I'm in there, that I haven't gone too far. I can come back. I've not gone that far that I can come back. So would everybody just close their eyes and bow their heads? I really don't know everybody's situation, but I'm going to make two quick appeals this morning. I'll not label them at all. Just if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus and you have a now a wee bit firmer understanding that you can't go too far. You can't go from the reach of that grace. If you're here today and you, and you want to give your life to Jesus, I'm just going to go from three to one, and at one, just raise your hand. And if that's you, just raise your hand. Three, two, one. If you're here today... If you're here today and you feel perhaps you've been like a wee bit like the, the older brother, you've been sitting outside the house, you've not fully entered in, you've not come into the party as it was, you've not enjoyed the grace of God in its fullness. If that's you today, the same thing, I'm just going to go three, two, one, and then we're going to finish up and the band's going to play us out. Three, two, one. One, if that's you, if you've been away from God and you feel, thank you, you feel that you would like to come back. Thank you. Father, we thank you for your grace, your love and your mercy. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that we, we see it, we feel it, we taste it every day, Father God. Thank you for your great grace and your great mercy, Father. 
Thank you, Lord. Amen. Appreciate that great word. Come on, encourage Pastor Wally one more time. Come on. Well, he mentioned, uh, he mentioned about a party a few times. This is probably the best party song we've got. <laughs> and Christmas is a bit of a party anyway, so here we go. God's great dance floor. Let's kick it. Coming back to the start Where you found me I'm coming back to your heart Now I surrender Take me This is all 